Geek Card presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Sometimes in comics, it's all high times and bad trips. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I am Petula Neal. And this week, we are looking at the history of drugs in comic books. It's like, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of drugs in them, their books. It's uh, it's amazing. If you go back through the history of comics, drugs pops up almost near the start because while some of the characters got their powers through gods or through magic or through, you know, just being able to become the best martial artist that they are and stuff like that, there were a number of titles back in the golden age of comics where people got their superpowers through medical testing of creating the perfect soldier and using drugs to give people superpowers. Of course, the most famous is the Super Soldier Serum, which, uh, of course, uh, powers Steve Rogers, Captain America. Jack Kirby and Joe Simon came up with that, made it that it was an entire list of experiments that created the perfect serum that, of course, could not be mass-produced because the person who had the formula was killed. And so you had this Super Soldier. But he wasn't the only one. Like, they, like there was... Our man, who uh, he'd take Miraclo, and for one hour he could become superpowered. So he'd have. So it's funny because it's like that actually kind of comes up with the idea of like premature superheroism. Because it's like, what if he sees something? He thinks he sees trouble. He takes the power, like he takes the pill, and he goes to find. He's like, oh no, no, no the kid was just playing. Everybody's fine. And he's got an hour of like this pent up superpower. That he's got to find a way to, so it's like I could picture him like going around, like helping mechanics lift trucks and things like that. You know, it's just like, I got to put this to use sort of thing because, you know, I took the damn pill. And it was almost like the Golden Age kind of used pharmaceuticals in like a fun, happy way. Like, look at the advancements of what these drugs can do. So interesting, too, that we know a lot of, let's say, post-comic code but pre-current era creators especially a lot of people who were working at the bigs in the early days may have had backgrounds in their family uh from eastern europe Mm. uh where we know some stuff went down (laughs) in the 40s and the origin story of a lot of these drugs it's either really good or really terrible but often involves some form of experimentation on people yeah sometimes with their consent sometimes without it yeah sometimes knowing the outcome sometimes um having no idea and you have to try to like i had to try personally to not look back at it with a lens of like what we know today yeah Uh, of course like uh, if you have to look back at the way the drugs were used in those stories in the golden age it's very irresponsible yeah, because it gives off very much the wrong message. But at the time, they were very much like the belief that like the cure all what can like cure what ails you medicine. It's modern. It's amazing. And so it was kind of whitewashing that kind of message without the damage that these types of things can do. Yeah. And the the one thing I guess that is kind of consistent, even up to today with actual drugs is it all depends on how you use them. Yes. And how much and who you're giving them to and why and do they know that you're giving them those drugs. Mm-hmm. So the 
there's many drugs that it could be a performance enhancement, a weapon, or, you know, really my spreadsheet column was like those three, those two. And then the third, why not both? Because <laughs> it depends on who's doing it and how they got it. Yeah. And, and also there's the wrong drug for the right reasons uh, subcategory, where if we think about uh, the uh, MGH in the Marvel world, the mutant growth hormone, uh, Patriot's a great example of that. Uh, mm. Elijah Bradley, it's yeah. like, you know, terrible, terrible choice, but using it for good. Right. And like when we have a character for a lot of people who recently saw the movie, but then also in the comic book, we have uh, our mighty Thor when they use Mjolnir, the effects of like a disease that is killing them are advanced, but also halted. They're becoming a hero, but they're also using a performance enhancer in this case, you know magic hammer from the gods but right 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 the mutant growth hormone really it breaks both ways <laughs> and uh often the effects are not great uh, no definitely not definitely not but we'll 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 get into that stuff in a little bit but uh it was interesting that during the the, the you know coming the come down of the golden age superhero comics were kind of going to the background and the comics that were coming up more to the forefront were kind of like the very salacious horror comics and crime comics and things like that stuff that EC was putting out and stuff like that, which also depicted drug use in a very in very violent ways and things like that. And of course, to kind of stop comics from being regulated by the government or an outside source, the uh, comic publishers got together and created the Comics Code Authority, which would then, you know, regulate what could and could not be in comic books. Now, the longest misconception about the code is that they thought, like a lot of people thought that there was a ban on a depiction of drugs in comics. But actually in the code, it's not. It kind of was kind of thrown into a catch-all of talking about that all elements or techniques not specifically mentioned herein but which are contrary to the spirit intent of the code, which is, of course, showing positive storylines and positive lights, are considered violations of good taste and decency and shall be prohibited. So there was a the idea of not having drugs in comics was more based on who the reviewer was at the code. And so in the early 70s, this is when this kind of stuff came to light because Stan Lee was asked by the Nixon administration to write a Spider-Man comic that dealt with drugs. Now, in the story, he kind of took broad strokes because he didn't know about drugs. The drugs, per se, are not described as anything specific, but they're different colored pills, which Harry Osborn starts taking after he really, you know, he realizes that, oh, I thought this girl was my girlfriend. She's not. I'm down. My father's acting weird. I don't know what to do. And of course, some guy in the street comes up to him and goes, hey, raw deal. You take these, these will make you feel like a million bucks. So that he takes them and it's a very melodramatic, overall irresponsible depiction of drug use and has moments where there's there's fights between uh, Randy Robertson and uh, Norman Osborn on the street on whose fault the drug situation is and stuff like that. So it is very like ham-fisted in your face. But the code denied them because... There was a lot of drug use throughout the whole thing. And so they ended up running the books without the code, which then gave leeway for Neil Adams and um, Denny O'Neill to release their Green Lantern, Green Arrow story, where Speedy 
is addicted to heroin. Now that one gets into more specifics, but kind of also takes the very ham-fisted, over-the-top melodramatic take on drug use and plays a lot of like self-righteousness in the story and kind of gives a, a weird depiction of like almost showing that getting clean can happen like that, which is again, very irresponsible. But these comics were kind of what pushed the code to be more lenient about talking about drugs in comics again. The comics code, much like laws in the real world, really depend on how they can be interpreted to your point. Yeah. And it was, I I think that especially Stanley, as we know, whatever you may think about him, he was good at being political, was able to dance that line and figure out, as long as I portray things in a way that resonates with the more moralistic side of whoever may end up being the reviewer on the censor board, mm. whatever the equivalent of like your app store reviewer is back in those days for the comics code. Even though I think those books, they didn't actually go out with the seal on them. Like That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The code yeah, denied yeah. them. So they just ran them with like, basically yeah. Martin Goodman told Stan, you can put the books out anyways. Yeah. So they figured out, okay, if, as long as we're sort of solid on the drugs are bad. <laughs> yeah. But also not in any way being too uh, explicit, making sure it's not your hero doing drugs. Like, so it's almost like a checklist of as long as it's this, then it's fine. Hmm. And I think for a lot of artists, then they had to figure out how to dance the line of what was and wasn't legal uh, at that time. Yeah. Because it, you know, care certain characters being together even technically up until loving v virginia <laughs> mm. uh, couples of different backgrounds couldn't marry so yeah you got to think about some reviewer might be fine if you had a relationship who cares some wouldn't a lot of uh what the code did was allow people to put their lens of what they believe is right yeah and say none of that and then some people would just be like don't even talk about anything Great documentary, I think, that I saw ages ago called Clean Flicks. And it's about the process of uh, making kind of gen pop films uh, appropriate for a very religious uh, subculture uh, so that you can like have, I mean, it probably would have a different name, but there's probably even a, a Clean Flicks version of Dirty Dancing out there that definitely does not have the penny story. That's... <laughs> Let's take sure. it back to, yeah, that's so a back short, to drugs. Yeah. yeah, back to drugs. <laughs> back you know. to drugs. Uh, that is, I think, part of the reason why coming out of that period, so many comic book creators, whether it's the bigs or the indies, uh, like to come up with their own fake drug. Yeah, no, and eventually that would be the way. In fact, even as I said, Stan Lee doesn't really differentiate what the drug is in the story. It is later that uh, when Archie Goodwin is writing the book that he decides that what Harry was on was LSD. But at the time, Stan doesn't give away to that. And like, I sounded, you know, kind of hard down on both Stan Lee and the Denny O'Neill's books. But truth be told, for the time, they were groundbreaking works. And reading them now and looking them at the lens of the early 70s, they're well-written. Like, they are interesting stories. But when looking back at how that depiction kind of added to very much like the overall media interpretation of drugs and kind of lumping them all together and lumping in the types of people who do drugs, that stuff is irresponsible. 
Definitely. Yeah. I did well, like that Harry was a, an affluent man and also a friend to our hero dating, you know, one of our favorite girls, MJ. And it also showed as like his behavior changed and became irrational because his friends didn't really know what was going on. They mm. didn't know how to navigate yeah. his behavior, um, like just freaking out because MJ's flirting. Like MJ's going to MJ, my guy. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and then over in uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, you know, Speedy, who young adventurous hero sort of thing, he gets roped into it by just out of curiosity, which again, that is kind of if you if you're curious and you try out these drugs, if you're not if you don't have a good vision of what you want out of the situation, it's easy to get roped in. And of course, or a genetic predisposition, genetic like predisposition, some people can exactly. try stuff out and you're fine. And some addictive people... personalities, totally. Yeah. And and uh, of course, I will say with the Neil Adams, Danny O'Neill one, like we talked about how drugs, the way you use them are effective. This one is specifically about heroin, which there is no good heroin story in life. There is no like, hey, this person got addicted to heroin or this person uses heroin recreationally. It's heroin. <laughs> it's just a, it's a bad scene, man. And I think that actually is a line in the book. But what I found interesting as we get into the, the later 70s is that drugs didn't so much have an effect on comics as it did comic creators. Because, of course, there's a time where a lot of psychedelics and things were coming out. A lot of uh, mind-expanding drugs were being uh, were being experimented with. And uh, I got a chance to talk with Steve Englehart a few years back um, about when he was writing Shang-Chi and the Master Kung Fu, he created the book, how drugs really uh, influenced the types of stories that he did during that time. Uh, let's take a listen to that right now. Uh, of course, another uh, book that uh, you did at Marvel was Master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi, uh, with that character, you know, uh, you looking at a lot of the Eastern influences and, uh, you know, philosophies. But uh, is it true that uh, some of the ideas in the comics were inspired by uh, acid-fueled trips to the New York nightlife? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I've, I've never been particularly shy about that. I enjoyed the 70s. Somebody said once... Um, in another context, but they said, oh, you were a hippie. And I said, no, I wasn't a hippie because I made my deadlines, you know. I mean, I had a job and I did my job. But when I was, you know, in my free time, I certainly enjoyed the 70s all the way around. And, yeah, there was a night. Um, a bunch of us went to a movie um, up in sort of midtown Manhattan. And we said, it's early yet when we came out. Let's walk down to the bottom of Manhattan. It was, and it took us all night to to walk down there but yes we were you know we were uh, in an altered state and we were seeing things and we said oh well that you know and that was the thing we'd see stuff and we go well that'd be cool in the comic let's do that right i mean so we were just p pulling stuff uh you know people say where do you get your ideas and the answer is everywhere right, 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 right. and that includes you know lower manhattan at three in the morning we saw a guy, I remember we saw a guy, he was doing road work or something, and he had some sort of bright flare thing that he was leaning over a manhole, and it was throwing this shadow like three stories tall on the building behind him, right? And and we were just inspired by the, by you know, lower Manhattan in those days was very sort of a 40s kind of thing, and it had that pulp atmosphere. It was just, all that stuff came together. But yeah, that's, that's, it's true, I have I have indulged in... What soon will, well, I don't know about acid, but, you know, I know April 1st everything will be legal here, right? So 
So, you know, life moves on. And so much like Engelhart, uh, Jim Starlin, uh, you would uh, use psychedelics as well to influence what he did with the book Captain Marvel. And if you notice that the Marvel Universe at that time, suddenly the cosmic world of the Marvel Universe suddenly becomes bigger. And drugs definitely had an influence on that. If you've read any of the cosmic stories in Marvel in the 70s, that is quite a trip. Yeah, colors really pop. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how even uh, characters from different backgrounds were colored as well just before this period. It, it's like the figuring out how to use more than like the basic colors and then also drugs really helped open things up. It, 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 drugs are bad. Kids don't do them. However, uh, <laughs> the pairing of this period in time and then also like hashtag not all artists but then artists could be influenced by what other people were doing either in the art world or other artists within the comics world that were perhaps partaking so it definitely became one of the most I'd say fanciful periods visually where people were allowed to really try some uh, fun weird beautiful things and definitely taking it out of, you know, more of your um, grid-like, uh, you know, talking head, punch it up, you know, good guy wagging a finger at bad guy kind of uh, layouts for a lot of things and uh, opening up the look and feel of how, how characters are drawn, their costumes, and even flipping through. When you go, start going back catalog and just drifting through like older comics or there's one time when I was in, I think it was like a it was like an antique store and it wasn't like a value village it was something that was sort of in between and they had everything from like old comic books to like uh, old playboy covers you can almost like this is where stuff starts to get influenced by drugs but also um where graphic design got really interesting mm. yeah yeah no definitely so yeah you saw that in the work this would slowly peter out in the 80s you know once again the war on drugs kind of became like the message in the books and there'd be special comics for the superheroes would team up together to take on drugs. Very, very doing it as like a broad term. It's like, we're going to fight drugs. And it's like, oh, okay. How? <laughs> You're superheroes. You're not social workers. Like what the hell? You're basically built on a totalitarian kind of storytelling. Yeah. Under like when doing the research for this or even just looking at my shelf and seeing, you know, what books have drugs fictional or real in them and which ones uh, don't and how it's approached. The one thing that was really missing was, you know, any sort of like a like a good Betty Ford brand, like a good rehab brand across any of these. It's very much drugs are something that happens to you and then you you and everyone in your life just have to deal with them for good or for ill. Mm, yeah. Therapists and rehab really missing in the comic world. <laughs> oh yeah, no, totally. And uh, I noticed that in the 90s we kind of dipped back into not really talking about drugs in the comics, but certain creators being influenced by them. Grant Morrison turned 30 in the early 90s and decided after being straight edge for 30 years, decided he was going to try every psychedelic drug and just go on a trip. And from that, we get The Invisibles, a book that if you don't read from issue one, you're going to be lost because it is quite a ride. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, he uh, he said that he, he experimented with them in that time. Uh, he wouldn't, he doesn't do any of that now because he's older. But when he took D- high doses of mushrooms and DMT, he really, uh, he really found the story he was trying to tell at that time. <laughs> so... 
Ooh, but it's also in the 90s, like late 90s, where we start getting into what you mentioned, you know, touched on before. These fake versions of drugs that are specific to the superhero world that usually the outcome of these drugs is an enhancement or it gives you superpowers or, you know, basically makes you the, the fullest of what you can be for certain periods of time. And they've used those types of drugs to talk about addiction and talk about um, basically the situation of like giving power to somebody who's not used to it and stuff like that. So like we've seen, as you mentioned, MGH, which is something that uh, was introduced first in Brian Michael Bendis' Daredevil. The Owl, oh sorry, Owl Man. No, the Owl. The Owl is scraping off DNA to give to a a, a drug uh, pharmaceutical guy who puts it together and then sells it out to the public. And then that becomes like a regular thing. And of course, in the case of Patriot and the Young Avengers, he becomes um, addicted to it because it's the only way to continue to be a superhero because he's convinced everybody that he has in his blood the uh which got the super soldier serum because his grandfather was part of the first trials of the super soldier serum uh when basically kind of like a take on the stegi airmen and the experimentation on that and that stuff like it's very interesting what they've done with mgh because they've done everything from that kind of story to iron man's girlfriend gets doused with it and she can't handle it and she takes out a bridge you know things like that she didn't expect to get the drugs but you know they were just kind of so you get all these different kinds of levels of stories and you're not dealing with a real drug so you don't have to deal with the responsibility of talking about that drug in the comics but you can use it to tell the responsible story and you can also have your your good characters use these fictional drugs and then they're kind of absolved of any bad mm-hmm. behavior so it is a great storytelling cheat to yeah. say why is this character that's good or let's say somebody who's on the sometimes on the good side like my my homegirl emma frost uh i i like her to think of her as uh pragmatic but i i wouldn't know where to put her on a D alignment chart that's for sure yeah. uh you know she and or the cuckoos or whoever you know getting down with the kick uh the the things that happen to them and the way they may uh go against professor xavier and the in theory uh being the right kind of mutant they're absolved often because well they were best like hanging out with quit choir and like doing kick yeah, yeah, Omega gang, that, like yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah the, the whole thing it was interesting yeah. Because like at the time where mutant growth hormone was big in all of Marvel Comics, Grant Morrison was like, no, we're going to have our own drug specifically for mutants, kick. Yeah. We're going to take kick. And so all in those inhalers and everything like that. And uh, yeah, it messed up who we thought was Magneto, but isn't Magneto. But that I think when Morrison was writing it, he was Magneto. It was just retconned later. And it's, it's interesting to me that the main thing that they always kind of play with with these fictitious drugs is that they kind of go more the steroids route than any of the types of drugs that give you a psychedelic high or anything like that. Because you got Kick, you got MGH, Venom, uh, Bane used to have... Have venom yeah and increase his powers uh, of course for years even back to the 60s there was velocity nine which would give people the powers of the flash and then in a way the terrigen mists are a drug absolutely yeah which yeah. again unlock your inner powers so it's it's interesting that all of the fictitious drugs have focused specifically on superpowers yeah and but the what i like the most about the terrigen mist compared to some of the other ones is the it's really dealing 
dealer's choice. Yeah, like. yeah <laughs> exactly. The teratogen myths are kind of like what you were talking about before. It all depends on how you use the drugs. In this case, it all depends on who you are and how it affects your body. And uh, yeah, so you could you could end up becoming a beautiful winged butterfly type person, or you could just get it and suddenly there's spikes growing out of every part of your body and you're forever in pain. You know? <laughs> so it's... Yeah, it, the, the lack of control and the fact that they could use it as a device to then just create a whole new group of Xavier type looking mutants versus Morlock type looking mutants and also make it be something that either you could do to somebody without their consent mm. or they could choose to do it and then have all the story devices that come out of that and while right now we know due to issues whether it was with rights or uh, who owns what or what someone's origin story is unfortunately Terrigen Mist it's going a bit out of fashion yes. uh, I, I love the Terrigen Mist because it was just such a rando like thing that could happen to someone Yeah, and you could really have a lot of fun with it. No totally it's a infinite possibility storytelling device totally and yes Marvel has used it in very different ways throughout the years and overall drugs now are kind of as a whole kind of taking that kind of route the, the, the unpredictable superpower route and, and something yeah something all you kids probably know about now whether or not you read comics if you watch the boys compound v compound v yes which is exactly to me when compound v was at like first in the book i was like oh so it's mutant growth hormone but it lasts okay (laughs) yeah and you know great super backstory much like the early days of comics because you know origin story of it in the comics it's related to you know nazi science stuff which (laughs) always fun yeah which does really harken back to the golden age of comics (laughs) yeah like operation paperclip was a real thing for a reason it's like terrible people but man the science yeah yeah. so (laughs) it's uh yeah just like everything about the boys the comic books a little bit darker yeah yeah Yeah. the uh i had a friend of mine say because yeah i read the the boys comics and i liked them at first but they're very edgelord (laughs) it's like yes they are very edgelord in every aspect but that's garth ennis for you he kind of embraces his inner edgelord uh in almost all of his books so (laughs) yeah god bless you kripke for really like putting it through a bit of a softening the edges yes (laughs) softening the edges definitely Oh, man. But overall, drugs have had a really interesting history in comics, and they've produced some great stories and some cringeworthy stories and some that are both. Yeah, I I kind of and I'm sure this happens more in, you know, chit chatty relationship indies. But right now, we we as Canadians are enjoying an unprecedented access to uh, uh, legal uh, cannabis. And uh, you really can't throw a rock without hitting uh, a cannabis store here where we live. It doesn't always have to be, oh, I I turn into a rage monster and hurt people or turn into a rage monster and help them. Yeah, that's Uh, why they never really told a comic story about marijuana because it's like, yeah. And then for the next 22 pages, they kind of just sat there and hung out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They hung out and like read comics and watched movies. Yeah. Yeah. That does not make for a compelling comic book story. <laughs> yeah. No. So drugs and comics, definitely they're going more for the extreme. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my God. But for consuming comics, I highly recommend <laughs> if you live somewhere where certain uh, less aggro drugs are legal. <laughs> great time. It's a it's a great way to appreciate some of the art inspired by that cosmic uh, psychedelic era. There you yeah. go. Definitely. So uh, give that a whirl. We've come to the end of another episode of Back You Should Love Bath. Petula, where can 
can people find you? At InnoTiff.com, on Twitter at ObesaCantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. And of course, you can find everything I do over at GeekardShow.com. Follow me on Twitter at GeekArd. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Is Your Bloodbath. We post the new episodes there every week. But of course, the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And really, I'm quite surprised if you haven't. I really am. Uh, so go there, subscribe, leave a five-star rating or review on wherever you find us, wherever you catch your pods. You'll feel good about it. We'll feel good about it. And we'll have a great day. This has been Back to Your Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Patula Neal. Have yourself a good time. <laughs> 